Well, good afternoon, Hope Midtown. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here. So good to have you join us for service on this third Sunday of Advent. Hey, as we get started this afternoon, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what could God do in your life right now that would surprise you? What could God do in your life right now that could surprise you? And, and let, me, let me pull back a little bit more. What if you were in the middle of a story, and in, in the story that God is writing in your life, and you have no idea how this story is going to end. You have no idea what's going to happen next. You have no idea what, what the end of the story is going to look like. Uh, we're, we're looking at, uh, for many of us, a very familiar story. The Christmas story, the Advent story, the nativity scene, Jesus being born in the manger. And here's the challenge for us as we read the story. Most of us, most of us have heard it before. We've seen it. We've seen like cartoon versions of it. You may have acted it out before. We've, we've read it year after year at Christmas time. So we kind of know what's going to happen. And for most of us, the challenge is that when we read this story, the story of Jesus coming to the world, the Savior of the world being born in a manger, it feels predictable. It feels safe. It feels easy. We know what's coming next. And the challenge is, that's hard to relate to that. Like anyone here's life right now feels safe and easy and predictable? Raise your hand, please. Exactly. No, life doesn't feel that way. Um, it's interesting for me. My, my daughters are um, really into Disney movies. They're at the age where it's not as scary for them anymore. And um, when they're watching these Disney movies for the very first time, and they're experiencing it for the first time. So I have seen them many times before, so I know what's happening next. But for them, they're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So Mufasa dies, they're destroyed. Or like, oh, Ursula's going to win. Or, or, you know, Scar's always going to be king. All these things, because they're experiencing it for the first time. They're caught up in the drama of what is, they don't know what's going to happen next. So they feel this angst and this anxiety and this energy of like, oh man, what, what is going to happen? And if you know the story, you lose that. If it's predictable, you, you lose that. If it feels safe and it feels easy, you lose that. And, and that's the challenge for us here because when we read this story about Jesus being born, the coming of the Savior, born in a manger, it is anything but easy, safe, or predictable. It, it comes as a shock. It is a surprise. Because up until now, there has been 400 years of silence. God has not spoken for 400 years. The last words that the people of God have heard from the, the prophet Malachi was, was, was this, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Last thing they heard from God. And then so the story of Israel is about oppression and conflict and sin and disobedience, being conquered by different um, empires and regimes that, that seek to overtake them. And now they are being overrun by the Roman Empire, and they're crying out day after day, year after year, generation after generation, when will the, the Messiah come? When will God keep his promise to us? They don't know how it's going to happen. In fact, I wonder for any single one of them, they wonder if it was actually ever going to happen. Because hundreds of years have gone by at this point. <sighs> Do we just keep waiting? This is the story that we are being caught up in right now. This is the story we are invited to step into. And this is the, the way in which God enters into the world 
it's also a reference point, I think, for the way that God enters into our lives, which means that for us, sitting in the anxiety and the fear and the, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen next, might be really helpful for us here. Uh, There's an article written by uh, Tish Harrison Warren, um, Episcopal priest, this is, this is quite a while back in the New York Times in 2019, and this is what she, she says about practicing Advent. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also wielders wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or or selfishness. Our response to the wrongness of this world and of ourselves can often be an unhealthy escapism, and we can turn to the holidays as anesthesia from pain as much as anything else. We need collective space as a society to grieve to look long and hard at what is cracked and fractured in our world and in our lives. Only then can celebration become deep, rich, and resonant, not as a saccharine act of delusion, but as a defiant act of hope. What she invites us into, which I think the, the Advent story invites us into, is to not take things as they are. To not just say, well, it is what it is. This is just another year. It's just another season. We're just going to let it walk by or go by. But we pause for a moment. We sit in, in the uncertainty. But we also recognize their celebration. We also recognize that there is something that God is doing in the midst of all this craziness. And we hold on to it tightly as a defiant act of hope. That's what we're invited into in this story. Because it doesn't come easy to hold on to hope. It doesn't come easy to see God work and, and move in the midst of what seems like impossible odds. Because that's what happens here. Luke reminds us over and over again a couple things. First, that Caesar Augustus is in charge of the world. That if he wants to count how many people are under his reign, he can do it. And everyone has to move accordingly. There is one man who is in charge of everything. It's the first thing he reminds us. The second thing that Luke reminds us is that the Savior of the world, the living Son of God, was born as a baby in a manger. He reminds us three times just in our text today. You're going to see the Savior of the world. You're going to see the the, 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 the hope of the world, the one that will bring all joy, a baby in a manger because there wasn't room at the end. Which confounds us. It's like, well, like, how does that make sense? Because that's not the way that I would want God to show up in the world. That's not the way that I would want God to show up in my life. But that's the way that God chooses to show up for us in the incarnation. I think sometimes it's the way that God chooses to show up in our own personal lives as well. Because this is the way that God shows up in the person of Jesus. Slow. Small. Hidden. And fragile. First, slow. Here is your Savior. He's a baby. Doesn't, it's going to be a good 
12 years before, you know, he can go learn anything. It's going to be about 30 years before he starts his public ministry. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while before this baby does any sort of public ministry, performs any miracle at all. And what's interesting about that time, and again, it points to the fragile, is that, you know, at the time, historians say that anywhere between 25 to 30 percent of babies didn't make it to their first birthday. And of those, only about half of them made it to the age of 10. So you look at this, this baby and you're like, okay, well, we've got to wait a long time and there ain't good odds that this baby's even going to make it. This is the hope you're bringing me? God, this is the hope that you're introducing into the cosmic disorder and chaos of the world? Slow, small. Again, babies are small. I don't know if you knew that. They're small. And, and hidden in a lot of ways because it's so easy to kind of, kind of miss. And, and even in the story, it was like there, it was this, this teenage couple in the, in the middle of the ancient Near East that no one should ever have known about. Completely hidden. Not born in a palace or a king's court or, or the head of a, a, a great royal empire, but a, a, this, this couple, Joseph and Mary. Nobodies. But that's the way that God chose to show up. Small, slow, hidden, fragile. And I wonder, again, if we think about this as a reference point for the way that God shows up in our lives, how many ways might God be showing up for us in a way that might be slow, small, hidden, and feeling even fragile? Ways in which you feel like, oh, is this, this, is this enough? Is this, could this do anything at all? Could this make any difference at all? Could this actually create any sort of miracle or lasting impact at all? And it is in that moment a defiant act of hope to say, yes, God can even use this. God can even use this. I, um, this week I had, a chance, had an opportunity to, um, to visit um, a men's correctional facility. It was a, it's, it's a prison where a lot of these um, men have been there for 5, 10, 15, even 20 years. And they're doing a business training program, so I got to be there for their graduation. And I sat down with one of the men who had been... in in that facility for 15 years. He's, he's getting ready to go home. He's trying to make a, a better way of life. And, and, and he, was, he was telling me how hopeful he was to go back and reconnect with his family to make a better way for his life. Um, he said, you know, Mike, I've tried, tried doing it all the negative way. I'm going to try really doing it the positive way. I've got kids that are counting on me. I've got people back home that, that, that need me. And I remember sitting with him and, and, and just, just hoping beyond hope things were going to go right for him. Hoping beyond hope that everything was going to turn in a direction that was going to be positive for him and his family, for his work, for his life, that this was, again, not going to be the end of the story, but it was going to be the beautiful next chapter. But I didn't know. There's so much of his story before we met that I don't know. There's so much of his story from now on that I don't know either. But we sat together in that moment and he said something to me. He's like, hey, thank you so much for being here. You don't know how much this means to me. 
Thank you so much for, for you all. It was, it was a group of us volunteers. Thank you for coming and being with us in this moment, for giving us this feedback on our business plans. You don't know how much this means to us. This is one of the best things that we've experienced while we've been here. Now, you and I, as cynical New Yorkers, might say, well, he was just saying that. He was just being nice. He has no reason to flatter me in that moment, is what I like to believe. I think he meant it. I think it meant something to him. And sometimes what we lose sight of, again, because we are so easily, you know, I think we skip over what God is doing, we lose sight of these small moments that might be happening and we have no idea the kind of impact that God could use them. And when we hold on to them, it might be an, a defiant act of hope. When we say that, that when someone reach out to, reaches out to us, when we reach out to someone else, when we show up in ways that maybe may seem really small or insignificant or fragile or hidden, and we feel like it's maybe a little bit of nothing at all, but what if God could use that to make all the difference in the world because that's what he does with things that are small and hidden and fragile. That's the kind of impact he can make with a baby born in a manger to a poor teenage couple. Um, I share with First Service that I, um, I watch way too much YouTube. It's my confession, okay? And one of the things I would watch for a while, I don't have to anymore because it's on Disney+, Plus, but I will watch uh, clips of Hamilton. And the, the song, I, I like a lot of the songs from Hamilton, but one of the songs I really love was um, Quiet Uptown. And if you guys know that, it's, it's one of the emotional high po- points in the story. And I'm going to give it away, but it's been, around, been out for a while, so it's really on you. Um, and, and Alexander and Eliza, the main couple, they, they have lost their son. They have lost their child pretty tragically. And they're suffering. They're grieving. They're numb. And, and it's the story of them um, trying to reconcile their, their normal lives and, and walk through. And, and, and especially there's a lot of tension and anger between Eliza and Alexander. Um, because of what happened. And, and in the song, there's, there's a moment where they're standing together just trying to figure out how they're going to make it, just trying to figure out how they're going to move forward. Um, and, and this is what the words of the song say. There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. They're standing in the garden Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. Can you imagine? And, and if you watch it, there, there is that moment where Eliza, just very gently standing next to Alexander, grabs his hand and says, hey, we're here. We're in this together. And it's an act of forgiveness. And if you watch it, when Mo Miranda, he just starts bawling. And that's when I start bawling <laughs> because I feel it. I feel the weight of that emotion. And all it is for them too, that couple, is, a, is, is Eliza grabbing his hand. That simple moment of like, hey, I don't know how we're going to get through this together, but we're going to get through it together. And, and there's forgiveness, and it's a process. It doesn't take, because how many of y'all know that forgiveness takes time Sometimes. That, that, that growing together, that reconciliation takes time, that God's work in, in, in us take time, but, but, but man, we're going to get through it. 
What an, what an incredible act of hope to give, and then what an incredible act of hope to receive. What could that look like for you and me? What could that look like in our lives? What, what could it look like for us? Because we don't know how the story is going to end. We have no idea that a small moment that someone might do for us, a text message, a conversation, a hug, a word of encouragement, We have no idea what God could do with that and the ripple effects that that might have in our life. And likewise, when we do that for someone else, we don't know what the impact that that's going to have as well. But it's so small, Mike. So hidden. No one's going to know about it. So fragile. It just gets fleeting. It's going to, it takes a long time to do any of this. Yes. That's the way that God works the way that God does things and he does so beautifully because at the end of the story God wins at the end of the story God takes all of that uncertainty all of that pain all of that is this going to work out and he turns it on its head um J.R.R. Tolkien who's the the writer of um the Lord of the Rings um if if you know that story there is that moment at the very end where all hope is going to be lost and and it seems like everything is, 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 is going to be a tragedy, and there's this moment of turn. And it was interesting because Token actually, he, he was a student of language and needed to come up with a word that, became, that was the opposite of catastrophe. Okay? Because catastrophe is a, is a sudden turn for the worse. So what he did is he came up with this new word. He, he came up with a word called eucatastrophe. So instead of a, a catastrophe, a, a sudden turn for the worse, it's a catastrophe, a sudden turn for the good. Basically, the happy ending. And, and Tolkien, as, as a very strong believer, this is what he says. The birth of Christ is the catastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is a catastrophe of the incarnation. The story begins and ends in joy. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true. When all hope is lost, there's a sudden turn for the good, and the Savior is born. When all hope was lost, and he hung on that cross, there was a sudden turn, and there was a resurrection. And along the way, there were all these moments that felt very slow, that felt very small, that felt very hidden and very fragile. But to believe in every single one of those moments that God, you are still at work, you are still, you're still moving, you're still doing it, your plan is still on track, is a defiant act of hope. Friends, today, what could that look like for you? What is your defiant act of hope? It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be outlandish or, or grand. It can be really just a simple thing. What might be a defiant act of hope that you receive from God today? It might be being here in this service. Because we don't know what's going on in your life right now. The people next to you don't know. But, but being here, worshiping together, saying, I choose to show up, is a defiant act of hope. And thank you for stepping out and choosing. Choosing to be here. What could that look like if we chose to show, show up that way for each other? What could that say to the world? Maybe it's going to say what the shepherds heard.
Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus has come to, Jesus has come, hope has come. The Savior has been born.